Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. One of the topics that we love to cover over here on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is post-traumatic stress. And usually we talk about post-traumatic stress and what we can do with it, how we can transcend and and transform it into post-traumatic growth. But how do we manage post-traumatic stress biologically, physiologically? And this is something that, you know, prior to this time um, has really, there haven't been any markers or ways of physically testing our chemistry for the evidence of post-traumatic stress. So today we're talking about innovative diagnostics as well as treatment of post-traumatic stress. My first guest is Jennifer, I hope I pronounce this right, Perazzini. Did I get it? Yes. Hey! (laughs) Jennifer earned her BA in neuroscience at Barnard College of Columbia University. She then received her PhD in behavioral neuroscience at UCLA under the direction of Dr. Michael Fanzalo, where she studied the mechanisms underlying post-traumatic stress disorder. Recently, she completed her postdoctoral fellowship at Columbia University in the departments of psychiatry and integrative neuroscience, where her research focused on rodent models of aging and Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Perazzini is now founder and CEO of Neurovation Labs, a biotech company developing PTSD diagnostics and treatments. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. This is um, a subject that is near and dear to my heart because of the work that I do with our veterans and other people who are undergoing um, trauma in their lives. And what I think is so important about what you're doing over at Neurovation Labs 
is the diagnostic component, which actually allows people to see, no, they are not crazy. Their bodies are, in fact, under extreme stress. Talk a little bit about this. Sure. Well, I also agree that the diagnostic is something that's critical that we need to get out. Right now, PTSD is just diagnosed by a checklist of symptoms, um, and we really need that objective indicator uh, to diagnose PTSD and then get them the right treatment. So yeah. what we're doing um, at Neurovation Labs, it's, it's based on the research I've done in the past. Um, I used a rodent model of PTSD, and we actually found that in nearly all of these rodents that experienced a traumatic event, we saw this increased protein um, in the fear learning center of the brain. And from that, we're now creating a diagnostic tool um, and translating all this research into humans. This is fantastic. What is the protein called? Well, the protein is actually part of a glutamate receptor um, in the amygdala. That's the fear center of the brain. And that sounds very obscure, but it's actually an extremely important um, protein and receptor. It's well studied in learning and memory and particularly fear learning and memory. And so it's not just the, the measurement of cortisol, like when we're cortisol dumping, the, the stress ho hormone is coursing through our bodies. This is evident also in a PTS response, but this is going deeper into I, I, what I hear you saying. It's going deeper into the actual brain chemistry and what is shifting when we are in these heightened states. You're exactly right. And cortisol is very important. It's actually what I originally studied uh, with my doctoral research. And um, we actually think that this increased protein that we see is in part caused by this surge of cortisol. So the, the cortisol, the, the um, increased cortisol is causing the other protein to be more activated. And you said it was glutamate. And I, I know that, you know, in addiction recovery, for example, and post-acute withdrawal syndrome, that at a certain point in the recovery process, a few months in, somewhere between the, the third and the sixth months, it's my understanding that the glutamate is also reset, resetting in the brain. Does that relate in some way to what's going on with the diagnostics that you, you've developed? It definitely could relate to PTSD. Um, all these disorders are, are really related, and we even see in our PTSD model this increased um, alcohol consumption, which is consistent with what we see also with PTSD patients. Um, uh -huh. I'm not sure if we could necessarily use this diagnosis um, for addiction purposes, um, but glutamate, like I said, is extremely important in, in both disorders, and what we're really measuring with our diagnostic is the, the protein. It's a glutamate receptor. This is fantastic. Talk a little bit about how the test is administered. Is it uh, part of a blood collection? Is it a saliva sample? Well, we're still preclinical right now, so the work we're doing is still in rodents. Um, it should be easily translatable, though, because the protein is actually highly conserved evolutionarily between rodents and humans. And what we want to do is actually a brain scan. Ah, so non-invasive. Mm -hmm. But it, what, and what, are you, what else are you looking for in the brain? What are the indicators? Like what are some of the um, 
the symbols that you would look for in the brain to show that this this um, glutamate was was activated? Well, what we would be using is something like a PET scan, um, which essentially scans the brain, and we're able to pick up on this glutamate receptor increase, it would be um, an injection of H tracer in order to pick up on this increase. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. And is that uh, tracer, does it give contrast? What, how, does, how does that work? The tracer will be specific to this glutamate receptor, and that's actually what our company is designing right now, a very specific tracer just to pick up on this important receptor increase. This is amazing. Talk a little bit about um, post-traumatic stress. I and I hate adding the D at the end of it, really, because I think that the the disorder or the the disease model, although it is required in order to get your research dollars and it is required to be part of the diagnostic code for insurance coverage purposes, it does pigeonhole the patient or the client into believing that there's something really wrong with them, perhaps permanently wrong with them, when in fact it's the brain and the body responding as it is designed to respond to excessive amounts of stress. That's exactly right. Um, The stress response is extremely important and adaptive. Um, When we experience fear, we have these, you know, fear responses and that's important for survival. And what happens with such a traumatic event is that the fear response becomes hypersensitive. And that is what we're really trying to target um, and bring everything back down to baseline. And um, I mean, PTSD, it's, it's a devastating, it's a devastating, um, I hate to use the word disorder as well, but, um, you know, it affects 8 to 10% of the population. Um, that's about 24 million people in the U.S. is living with PTSD, and that's about the the population of New York City, where I'm based. Um, And the symptoms include things like hyperarousal, these sensitized fear reactions to trauma-related cues, avoidance of trauma-related cues, and constant re-experiencing and reliving of the trauma. Yeah. And then the, the self-medication that goes along for, for, for many people who experience this, they don't know how to regulate, so the, they reach out for the very things that provide temporary relief, such as alcohol, um, prescribed medications, um, illicit drugs, risk-taking behaviors, hypersexuality, and there are a bunch of things that people do to temporarily relieve their suffering. That's exactly right, exactly right. And I think that's why it's so important to get the appropriate medications out because I think even the ones that are now available are not really getting at the cause of the disorder. They're just masking symptoms. And I think they're so closely related to these controlled substances that, you know, patients may be taking to to just temporarily relieve some symptoms. I, I agree. Well, I mean, they're taking them because it's releasing dopamine. It's, you know, it's releasing um, um, oxytocin. I mean, all these feel-good hormones that temporarily take us out of distress. So it makes sense right. why they are reaching for the substance or the behavior, but there has to be a better way that can help somebody actually heal the brain. Right. And I think, I mean, that that's what I, I, I see what Neurovation Labs is doing that can really help open 
open the gate for that to happen for people. We're going to take a break in a minute, but before we um, do, I want you to talk a little bit, if you would, about Neurovation Labs, where you're located, um, and you're a young company. So talk a little bit about this, and then we'll jump off to a break. Neurovation Labs is an early-stage biotech company. We are based in New York. And our main goal right now is to complete the development of our PTSD diagnostic and companion treatment. And we are in preclinical stages right now. We just secured seed funding to go forth with our diagnostic development. So that's um, the current stage of the company. Wonderful. And and you you said that you started out uh, with a with a rodent model that you've been working with rodents to help you develop this. And for those people who may um, cringe when you talk about this, I think it's important to 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 share why that's necessary. It is very necessary, and I think that is the major problem, not just with PTSD research, but with psychiatric disorder research in general, is that there's such a poor translation between the preclinical research and then getting into the clinic. So having these accurate disease models is extremely critical to develop the appropriate diagnostics and treatments. Exactly. And I guess if if we say, do we do do this on humans or do we do this on rodents? Neither, I guess, is is pleasant. But I mean, it, it is the lesser of two evils, so to speak, right? It's it, at the end of the day, um, you're doing this to to serve humankind. That's exactly right. We are going to jump off to a break, um, but before we do, I want to give the information on how to reach out and connect with Dr. Jennifer Perazzini. You can find her at neurovationlabs.com, on Twitter at Neurovation Labs, and on Facebook, Neurovation Labs. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and we will carry on the conversation about innovative diagnostics and treatment for post-traumatic stress. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. The promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. 
and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now and you have any connection to somebody who has been through traumatic events, who may or may not have received a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress, that is what we are talking today, but talking about today, but we're talking about it from a little bit of a different angle. We're talking about the diagnostics and innovative ways to actually get an accurate read in a human um, who may be undergoing post-traumatic stress. And my guest is Dr. Jennifer Perazzini. She is the founder of a company entitled Neurovation Labs, and they are have developed and are in development um, as a biotech company in diagnostic and treatment of post-traumatic stress. And Jennifer, I'm purposely leaving off that D because I hate that that letter at the end. Right. <laughs> we understand why it's there. Um, but let's talk a little bit about post-traumatic stress because many of us automatically go to the place of a a veteran, somebody who has served in the war, comes back and is understandably traumatically stressed by his or her experiences. And this, in fact, is a small segment of the population. If you look at the amounts of troops that are deployed in theater, that are in active combat and, and come home, I think the statistic is something like, uh, the reported statistic, I should say, is something like 25%, somewhere around there, come home with post-traumatic stress. Most likely it's higher than that, and that's understandable. However, in post-traumatic stress, there is a vastly greater segment of the population that has post-traumatic stress that is incurred by the trials and tribulations and adversities of everyday life, including um, you know, there may be violence in the home, there may be substance abuse in the home, there may be other kinds of abuse in the home, sexual abuse, other predatory things that go on that elicit this same response in an individual. That is correct. Um, I think veterans, um, it, it's a very important population to address and target because they are much less likely statistically to receive treatment and then stick with their treatment regimen. But like you said, there are so many other different types of trauma. I think really my uh, main motivation behind all this research, even just starting out, was, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I lived through 9-11. I saw what happened in the aftermath. And these coping mechanisms are very important for survival, but also what happens when they go awry is something that really needs to be addressed right now. Um, But... There also may be different types of PTSD, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people consider. Um, PTSD is considered, uh, or is caused, excuse me, by a trauma, whether that's an acute severe trauma or chronic mild stressors is something that still needs to be studied. This is an avenue for our company as well to study. I can see it would be because you have, of course, various different kinds of trauma, but does the brain recognize the difference between the two? As intelligent as the human brain is, I'm not so sure that it has the ability to discern the difference, that once that that switch has been flipped, if you will, all bets are off because the, 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 
the brain is the chemistry is now ruling the roost. Right. This is something that is still yet to be studied. And I think that in our research, in our development of our diagnostic tool, it may actually be a great research tool for us to determine even slight differences uh, between PTSD, whether it's caused by one trauma or another, and then we can cater treatments better for individuals. Yeah. That, and that and that makes complete sense. In terms of the treatment modality, um, talk a little bit about uh, how your research is being focused on that. Well, in our rodents, uh, we did target this increased protein, this glutamate receptor, um, surgically. And just a one-time procedure was able to long-term reverse the symptoms without any real bad side effects. There was no amnesia for the trauma, which is important. There were no behavioral abnormalities. But what we're trying to do now is obviously design a non-invasive treatment. So we are starting a small molecule drug discovery process in order to develop this companion treatment. This is very interesting. So in the surgical approach, and not that I'm advocating that this surgical approach in human beings, right. what exactly were you doing? What was the, what what part of the brain were you tinkering with or what substance were you introducing into the brain that allowed this response to be switched off? Right. Well, where we saw this protein increase was in the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. And with our surgery, we were able to just directly infuse a drug that decreases the protein levels directly ah, into the amygdala. Okay. That's amazing. And then how, and then what was the response time? Uh, what we saw in our tests, uh, you know, it's, it's a long-term test. We have a slew of, of different um, tests that we, we run after the traumatic event. Um, but we, we see the pre protein increase immediately following the trauma, and we were able to give this drug directly into the brain, uh, about 24 hours after, and we were able to see complete, um, you know, response recovery uh, within about an hour. Wow, that's that is amazing. That is truly amazing. You um, recently received seed funding to start creating this diagnostic, and the company, as as we mentioned earlier, is new and growing, and I think going to probably just really take off. What kind of partnerships are you seeking? What kind of companies and organizations would ideally be the right match to, to work with you as you grow? Well, I, right. So I right now we are still preclinical, um, but we are swiftly moving um, into the human population, I'd say in the next year or so, at least with the diagnostic. And I think we would really benefit, you know, with partnerships, um, you know, with, with veterans, um, even with the government. We've had some contact with the Department of Defense and with um, the Department of Veterans Affairs, and they are extremely interested and excited about, you know, the prospect of having a diagnostic and treatment, but we're still sort of growing our relationship with them. Um, but I think that any... Uh, human population that is suffering from PTSD, if they would like to somehow get involved with us, I really would encourage um, them to reach out to us. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that there are many um, groups that could benefit from from connecting with you. People who have survived sexual trauma, um, people who have uh, survived violent crimes, for example, um, who are traumatized. I mean, there probably aren't as many individually of each of these groups, but collectively there are a lot, no doubt. Um, oh, let, let me think of another another angle here. Um, what if somebody, just an individual, wants to reach out to you? Are you open to talking with people, individuals? I'm, yes, I'm always open to discussing what we do or, you know, if anybody has any questions. Because I think what is so important, you know, not just developing treatments and diagnostics is that we need to have a better public awareness about mental health. So I'm always open to a conversation. And this is where I think you could really serve um, the, the population too, is opening up more of a dialogue. Mental health has has a stigma, especially those who have undergone trauma. And if we're talking about veterans, those who've been off to war, there is a certain shame uh, that comes with that for many, that they should be able to somehow man up and, and deal with what happened when in fact they have been asked to perform or have witnessed um, heinous things that go against, that breach a moral compass, you know, that most of us have. And therein lies, I think, what contributes to the post-traumatic stress response. You know, we, we have, we violate our own code or see something that violates our own code. And there's uh, no apparent way to reconcile that. I agree. And as I said before, veterans especially are the least likely to seek or complete their, their treatment regimen. And you're right. What's most important right now is to just break the stigma around mental yeah. health. And, you know, we should all just be in this together. We are serving the population and, you know, we, we can all work together in order to help mental health disorders and just create a better understanding of mental health. You know, I want to just say one more thing about, about trauma, because oftentimes we like to think that it is somewhere over there, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, oh, that person had that trauma, you know, that it's outside of self. When in reality, the when someone is traumatized, if you take the view that we as humans are a part of a, a, a village or a tribe that is interconnected, the well-being of another person and their ability to rise to their potential and have a life of meaning and to flourish and thrive not only serves him or her, but the greater good. And that's where I think this conversation becomes one of social responsibility. I completely agree with that. I think we all know someone. We've all, even speaking about post-traumatic stress, we've, we've all experienced some, something very stressful, and it may not take much in order to push that to the next level. And I think that just, you know, it is a social responsibility. I think that mental health just needs to be discussed much more. I, I agree. And um, for those of us out there that don't think that that has ever happened to us or could ever happen to us, the fact is, if we're alive, we will be traumatized at some point in our lives. And I am grateful for um, people like Donna, 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 I went meant to say doctor, Dr. <laughs> Jennifer Perazzini 
for you know making um, these tasks for for doing the research for having the interest in, in not only as a um, a clinician and a researcher but also as a human you know from the human heart you this is what you want to do um, this is how you contribute your joy to the world and I thank you for that to learn more about Neurovation Labs and Dr Jennifer Perazzini who is the founder and CEO there you can please visit www.neurovationlabs.com on Twitter that handle is at Neurovation Labs and on Facebook Neurovation Labs and if you or someone you know um, is challenged by post-traumatic stress you might give a shout out over there to Neurovation Labs because maybe there's something some way you can um, connect and contribute to the research and the projects that are happening over there. Jennifer, thank you for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Thank you so much. Here come those tunes. We will be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are continuing the conversation about innovating diagnostics and treatment for mental health. And my next guest is Dr. Emeryn Mayer, who is a professor of psychiatry at the Oppenheimer Center for Neurobiology of Stress at UCLA, and he is also the author of The Mind-Gut Connection, How the Hidden Conversation Within Our Bodies Impacts Our Mood, Our Choices, and Our Overall Health. Welcome, Dr. Mayer. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Ah, It's a pleasure to have you here. Let's talk about um, the mind-body connection. So much has been written from the supposition of uh, the, the, the connection between the mind and body. And really, there's been a lot of research done that is now indicating f- for fact that this is true, that our mental states are, in fact, um, influencing our physical states and vice versa. Yeah, so in some ways, it's, it's an old-fashioned topic. Uh, you know, it used to be called psychosomatic um, connections in medicine uh, that kind of got discredited. Um, then there was a period where... There was relatively little interest, particularly in the brain-gut connection. I mean, so for a large part of my career, this was kind of an esoteric area within uh, gastroenterology. And, and, and I should clarify, so I'm, I am a gastroenterologist by training, have a joint appointment in psychiatry. So I'm, I'm not a pure psychiatrist. Um, <clears throat> and what has happened 
really surprisingly in the last, I would say, five, maximally seven years, there's been an explosion of interest in, um, in the brain-gut connection, primarily driven by um, the, the emerging microbiome science, uh, which has fascinated people. And now the brain-gut connection or brain-gut microbiome connection is really something that uh, almost every aspect of science and um, medicine, different specialties, um, is interested in and um, finds very um, finds worthwhile pursuing both in research um, and in um, with therapeutic approaches. So when we talk about how the mind communicates with the gut, and some people may find this hard to believe, but if if we are in a state of constant worry, anxiety, and depression, or um, other negative emotions, how is this impacting the gut, the belly, or what some say is the second brain? Yeah, so the way that I um, have come to see this interaction, it's really one fully integrated unit, the brain and and the gut. <clears throat> and the reason I think that is, um, so that that model basically assumes that uh, anything that goes on in our brain in terms of emotional reactions or perceptions, even thoughts, um, will have a, a counterpart or a mirror image at the gut level and vice versa, anything that goes on in the gut. Um, so the chatter of, you know, these trillions of of microbes are living there or the contractions or any other processes will be reflected in altered brain activity, most of which, the great majority of which we don't perceive consciously, but it goes on nevertheless. Um, so um, based on sort of an extensive body research, both in, in animals and in humans, we can assume that this is really needs to be viewed as an integrated unit, not as separate uh, organs. Um, why the gut of all the other organs or the rest of our body? I mean, clearly, every part of our body has a close connection to to the brain, to the nervous system. The gut is unique because, as you mentioned, it has its own uh, nervous system. It's been called the little brain of the gut or the second brain, um, which is in size. If you put all these nerve cells together, it would equal the, our spinal cord in, in, in magnitude. Um, but it also has the biggest part of our immune system um, is, is inside the gut um, and the biggest part of our endocrine system because the gut has a variety of different cell types that make hormones that are being released in, in response to, to food or, or uh, emotion. Um, and on probably one of the most, uh, this has become kind of common knowledge now, but um, not <clears throat> until recently, it's not been known that more than 95% of all the, ser the body's serotonin is in, is in the gut, in very close connections both to nerves that signal to the brain and also very close connection to the microbes that influence the serotonin synthesis. So um, from a biological standpoint, we have, um, there's absolutely no question that these two organs are very closely connected. And from a clinical standpoint, uh, it's almost like, you know, in, 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 in my practice, um, I see primarily patients that have these altered brain-gut um, interactions. And it seems like almost everybody, more so women than men, are aware of this connection. So every time I give a talk somewhere or being, being interviewed, you know, people, the hands come up and say, this is me. Or, um, you know, so, it's, it's, so patients have known it for a long time. 
physicians have denied it for a long time, still denying it to a large proportion, but um, or they don't know about it, like in psychiatry. Uh, but the science is 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 basically now so strong that we you know we we have to change our 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 concepts of diagnosis and uh, treatment. Indeed. When we look at uh, so many of the commercials that are on TV that are addressing issues with uh, the, uh, the gastro systems, you know, talking about irritable bowel and, and all these other conditions, is that form of treatment merely a Band-Aid? And is there another approach that really gets to what's going on underneath and can help heal? Um, so, it's, you know, to start out with, I mean, one brief comment, yes, there's a lot of so I've been talking about the science, you know, that's sort of really been growing exponentially. Uh, unfortunately, there's also a lot of chatter. Uh, this has been picked up by the media, by self-declared healers and experts. Um, you know, five, seven years ago, there were virtually no experts that would say, you know, I'm an expert in brain gut or brain gut microbiome interactions. Now, if you go to Amazon, you see all these books, you know, um, specific recommendations and specific diets. Um, the approach that, that we take, so this goes on obviously in, in, in everybody. You don't have to be a patient. Um, once you become aware of these close interactions, it's something I think very valuable the way you see yourself and your, and your body and your health. But in, but in terms of the, the, the patients, the approaches we take is really targeting, and this is not just symptomatic treatment, this is like re, reprogramming the brain gut microbiome axis. It's um, um, it's so we target some of the therapies at the brain, uh, both in terms of pharmacology and also in terms of many mind-based therapies. So mindfulness-based stress reduction, cognitive behavioral therapy, relaxation therapies. Um, then we have therapies that are targeted at uh, at the gut. So this is primarily dietary recommendations. Um, I would also call, you know, um, list the, the, the abdominal breathing or diaphragmatic breathing is one of those uh, strategies where we use basically our body that's in close contact, the diaphragm in close contact with our, with our belly uh, to send signals to the brain that have a relaxing effect. Um, and, you know, then um, there, there have been a variety of therapies or therapeutic attempts to normalize um, gut reactions, so contractions and spasms of the GI tract. Some of them are useful, but they are clearly Band-Aids. You know, if you just take one of those pills that are being advertised on TV, the latest for IBS, that will be just a Band-Aid on top of this altered brain-gut interaction. And then we've seen most recently, you know, the fascinations with the microbiome and the potential therapies that um, it would be targeted at that, um, ranging all the way from, um, you know, probiotics, um, prebiotics, so <clears throat> food items that would feed the, 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 the microbes, the beneficial microbes. And then there's even some clinical trials going on in terms of um, fecal microbial transplant. So, it's not just symptomatic therapy. Uh, if you look at, if you have a holistic view, <coughs> excuse me, of the brain and the gut and how they interact, there is a therapy that we believe can reprogram um, the interactions if they've gotten out of balance.
And and how would that be done? Well, as I said, I mean, you know, um, to start um, a, a practice of um, of mindfulness, of stress reduction, um, you know, switch to their normal breathing, um, eat the right kind of foods, avoid the foods that we now think are not good for your gut microbiome and your gut health. So foods high in um, animal fats and, and high in sugar. Um, what's good for the microbes is um, uh, fiber from from plants as from a high variety of different um, plant-based foods. Um, and, and then there's a group of molecules that, you know, we have known have health benefits <clears throat> such as turmeric or um, ginger, um, some of which I personally use in, in, in my practice now as well. Um, the intriguing thing is, so before we thought, you know, these are just anti-inflammatory, um, natural anti-inflammatory molecules. And now science is beginning to uh, discover that some of these effects, the beneficial effects of these, these food-based therapies are actually mediated by, by the microbes. So the microbes gobble up these, you know, these large molecules that are in, in um, in olives and red wine in turmeric, and then it changes the behavior of the microbes, which then um, translates into improved gut health. Um, what I hear you saying is that food can do a lot for us, and I, I we're going to go to a break in a minute, and, and when we come back, we can talk more about this. But what about like fermented foods and, and, and kombucha drinks and things like this that we see? really a plethora of them on the market right now. And people are having good results with these kinds of drinks or foods to help regulate what's going on in the gut. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, we can talk about this in more detail. Um, naturally fermented foods definitely uh, should be part of the diet if you want to do something for your microbes. For many of the, ferment the organisms that are in different fermented foods, for example, Korean foods, we don't know if they really qualify for a probiotic, which is a microbe with a demonstrated health benefit. For some of them, this has not been established yet, but um, I personally believe that a diet rich in fermented foods with um, a large number of different microorganisms contained in them is a natural thing. It's been around for hundreds, possibly thousands of years in Asia, um, and it's something that um, the, the, the traditional North American diet had almost completely eliminated. Everything had to be sterilized and pasteurized and uh, for safety reasons. So it, this is a good thing that it's coming back for our gut health and our gut microbial health. So for those of us out there that like kimchi and sauerkraut and pickles, we are our, our food habits are becoming back in fashion. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation with Dr. Emerin Mayer. To learn more, please visit emerinmayer.com. On Twitter, you can find him at Emerin Mayer. And on Facebook, Emerin Mayer. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. And other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break.
Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind. It's free. It's legal. And we're talking about the impact of our mood and our choices on our overall health We're talking about the mind-gut connection, how the hidden conversation within our bodies impacts our mood, our choices, and our overall health, with the author of this new book, Dr. Emeryn Mayer. Dr. Mayer, prior to the break, we were talking about some of the new food products that are on the market that really are are old products that have come back into fashion, such as um, pickled foods, sauerkraut, kimchi, and probiotic drinks. And the impact of how it is having on people that that, that suffer from um, gut problems. Um, yeah, I mean, I would also include in this uh, in these food-based fermented foods um, cheeses. So there's thousands of different types of cheeses. Uh, there's there's actually a science to that now. Um, people have looked at the, the different microorganisms, and it's it's really amazing what variety of of, of microbes are contained in different cheeses, not in the in the the yellow and orange cheddar that you buy in the supermarket for your sandwich, because there's almost nothing left in there. Um, but the, the French or you know cheeses from different parts of the world um, that have many of these microbes, we don't know yet um, what the health benefit is. That's the same thing with the um, with the various Korean uh, foods that. Um, I have discovered ever since I've written this book and found absolutely fascinating when, when you have a regular Korean meal, a traditional Korean meal, you have like, um, you know, you could have like uh, 30 of, of, of these little dishes come with it as light dishes, <laughs> all of which have these fermented products. So I, I should clarify, these are uh, fermented, naturally fermented foods that have microbes in it that are not harmful. But if you, if you use the strict definition of a probiotic, something that has a demonstrated health benefit, um, we, there's still a lot to learn. So, you know, we, we don't know um, what difference that makes like in Korean culture. If from infancy on you eat a, a diet that's rich in these, um, much richer in these uh, fermentation products and metabolites than it is in, uh, you know, in, 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 in North America. Um, I'd be. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was just saying. I would. I would be interested to know what the what the depression rate is in comparison. I mean, if we're talking about having a healthy gut, thus leading to a healthier mind, 
if all systems are working properly, are they better off emotionally than we are? That's, that's a good question. We asked that question. So when I came back from Korea, um, with the help of a Korean student here at UCLA, we tried to look at that literature. And the problem is the, the epidemiological data on prevalence of depression in, in Korea is not as, not as good as it is in, you know, in, in Europe and North America, mainly because there's still a stigma around psychiatric diseases. So the, you know, people will not admit um, um, if, if they suffer from this, it's kind of a taboo to even talk about it. So that, we don't know this. I think um, it'd be really interesting in the future to do studies like that. Um, and so just coming back to what you said earlier, so, you know, we have these, this growing number, growing just in awareness because they've always been around these fermented food items. And, um, but then we also had this growing number of um, um, drinks and dairy products um, that, you know, there's a huge commercial interest in this, in this area, pills, tablets, just about every form of delivery um, of, of probiotic enriched, um, um, you know, treatments. And the, the, the data on the benefits of that is, um, so what I would say, there's, there's a lot of studies. Um, the studies are not as tightly controlled clearly as you would have to do if you want to approve a, a, a new medication. Um, but but it, there seems to be pretty much a consensus that um, there is a health benefit um, in adults by um, various probiotics. Um, people have looked at primarily the bifidobacteria and the lactobacilli uh, strains. We don't know if these strains have uh, differ greatly in, in um, we also don't know if if it's better to take one uh, probiotic or a mixture. Um, we also don't know for sure if a so-called symbiotic that's taking probiotics together with um, f a food component that is food for the microbes, so so-called pre prebiotics. So you put a prebiotic and a probiotic together, you have a symbiotic. So we don't have the answer if any of these are better than other. That if you go on the internet, obviously everybody will try to convince you that their product is superior. Um, but if you really look at the, the scientific evidence, um, you can only say, yes, it is. it seems to be beneficial. The effect is relatively small, but significant. Uh, and it seems to be beneficial for a wide variety of medical conditions, um, including gut health and you know, that also includes uh, irritable bowel syndrome uh, symptoms. So that's, um, the, that's the current state. Um, um, so a huge um, variety of products out there, food-related and uh, manufactured. Um, some evidence that it's beneficial, <clears throat> um, but it's clearly something where I, I think the consumer is is sometimes at a loss of what product should should they buy? You know, they, I mean, all of my patients ask that question. There's hundreds of these probiotics on the internet. Which one is 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 really good for me? What about the effects of our memories, particular particularly early memories on the gut brain dialogue? Very important topic, um, and and this has been studied even before the microbiome came as a, an additional component in, into this brain-gut interaction. 
And we know that, uh, that early life experiences really starting in, in pregnancy, um, such as, you know, and this could be a wide range of things. It could be stress of the pregnant mother. Um, it, it could be um, um, stress of the, um, that, that the, the infant or the child, or actually in humans up to the age of 18, major stress, um, severe stressors that affect um, an individual uh, can program the, so the interaction or the dialogue within the brain-gut axis. If that once that happens, it's sort of like an operating system. It it stays with you for most of your life. Um, in animals, that's that's correct to say that. In humans, we have the ability through, um, I would say, primarily mind-based therapies um, and the ability of our prefrontal cortex to learn and to um, to influence uh, this 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 brain-gut dialogue. We, we have the ability to correct for, for some early life uh, memories. The memories themselves um, probably don't go away. We know, you know, epigenetics is a big topic now. Uh, we know that, um, so for example, early life stress has an epigenetic effect on genes that are relevant within the, within the stress system, setting the gain of the stress system. Now, with the microbes, we get a whole nother set of memory uh, mechanisms. Uh, <clears throat> and it starts again with pregnancy. So the food that the mother eats um, and the stress level um, can affect the, um, the composition of the, the, the early gut microbiome in the infant. And there's factors like the breastfeeding, um, um, the, the, the other nutrients that the, the infant takes in. That basically is another programming event. So one we have at the level of the nervous system, this one we have at the level of the gut microbiome. And the gut microbiome programming time period is over after about three years. Starts in pregnancy over in three years. At the brain level, it goes on until 18 years. Um, but all these memories basically encode what happens, what happened to us early in life, a variety of factors, you know, stress, nutrition, um, closeness with the family. Um, so we're basically programmed for a, an adult life based on the a variety of experiences that happen early on in life. Very, very fascinating. And, and, and finally, um, we probably don't have a lot of time to get into this on a, on a deep level, but I want to broach some of uh, your recent studies on psychobiotics. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier, um, so probiotics, the definition is um, microbes with a documented health benefit um, in humans. So the psychobiotic term was coined um, in analogy. So microbes with a, with a documented um, mental health benefit. And that, that concept basically came out of animal studies where some pretty dramatic um, Results were, have been obtained by several investigators um, that, that the microbes can significantly influence, um, for example, the mood, um, anxiety-like behavior, social behavior, um, and, and a variety of other things that you would say are kind of a, you know, a, a brain or psychiatric domain. The problem has been that um, until we did our study, there's really not been any significant or uh, you know, serious um, evidence to confirm that this also happens in, 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 in humans. Um, and 
there's now there's also you know commercial interest in this to develop probiotics that have a beneficial effect on on anxiety and on on, on depression on autism. Um, none of these have really been established in terms of that we're there, that you can buy this, this probiotic and it will improve your anxiety in a consistent fashion by itself. Um, so we did a study where we wanted to really look at this closer. So we fit, um, or we asked healthy young women to either eat a fermented milk product with probiotics, a non-fermented milk product, and or not do anything. We looked at their brain after four weeks and um, um, gave them an emotional stimulus and the, the brain responses to that stimulus um, were, um, were different, were attenuated in the group that had um, ingested the, um, the, the fermented milk product. So that, that this remains the only study so far that really shows that psychobiotic effects can be observed in, in humans. We have several other studies going on now to confirm that further, but um, a lot of animal data, very exciting, but limited data in humans so far. Dr. Mayer, we have run out of time, and I want to give our listeners um, the opportunity to visit you on your website and learn more about your latest book, The Mind-Gut Connection, How the Hidden Conversation with Our Bodies Impacts Our Mood, Our Choices, and Our Overall Health. To learn more, please visit emerinmayer.com, on Twitter at emerinmayer, and on Facebook, emerinmayer. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Dr. Jennifer Parasini and Dr. Emerin Mayer, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Tokinet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.